Hello and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Today we're finally delving into the realm of TV with the classic TV series, The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch tells the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold, like their mother, the youngest one in curls. Here's the story. Oh, you know the Brady Bunch. Everybody knows the Brady Bunch. I cannot remember a time in my life before the Brady Bunch. Like I cannot remember when I first started watching it. It's always been in my consciousness. And for most of our childhood, TV 56 out of Boston, WLVI TV 56, had Brady Bunch on Monday through Friday at 4 and 4.30. So we had an hour block of the Brady Bunch. And we just, we enjoyed the show. It's a fun show it's an easy show it's a comfort food show i can put on an episode and just have it playing either in the background or actually watch it and i'm just already in a good mood it just it, it's fun it's simple it's charming it's harmless it, it, it's an enjoyable show um i am with you 100 percent on that uh yeah this show was on the air for what like decades uh, it seemed uh for uh either on 56 or later on TBS. As uh, according to some websites I've checked that the show has been on every day in some point in the, at some part of the world, there's an awesome. episode airing daily. Um, it, it originally aired from 1969 to 1974. And then in 1975, even had a spin-off, the Brady Kids cartoon during its original run. And the Variety Hour. Well, not during the original well, that, run. That came after. Yeah. But, you know, they had their guest stars. Um, but I think once it went into syndication and it started airing daytime during the hours kids were watching it, this is a show that appeals more to kids than even families or, or adults, per se. And I think that's where it, it hit its niche and became a popular, iconic show. Sure. Because we watched the first season of The Brady Bunch, and it is more of a family-centered sitcom. A lot of Mike and Carol in the first... I mean, Mike and Carol are there pretty much the entire time, but the first season tends to be more about Mike and Carol having to raise six kids together. Whereas after that, it really focuses more on the kids and what they're doing. And I think that's why it became a hit among kids. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there are a lot of parallels to The Simpsons, but the few that I will make is that for um, the, you know, for a more recent generation, um, it's sort of like The Simpsons just always being there. And in some respects, The Simpsons very early on, um, you could argue was a, trying to be a bit more of a sincere show and then later kind of became a lot about, you know, Bart, Lisa and so on. So that's sort of, you know, that's about the only parallel I can make. Like the show is just ubiquitous, as ubiquitous as The Simpsons is now. And I, I apparently, I, I didn't know it was still being aired as constantly as it seemed. And that's awesome, actually. For a five season show, I mean, hell, five seasons these days doesn't sound like a lot, but um, that's, that's quite incredible. I mean, the, the the show is goofy and corny as hell, but it's yes. fun. It's almost, a lot of times during the show, it seems like even they realized how corny and goofy they can be because the family does some, 
it's a very close family yes. for a blended family. Yes. But they'll have hoedowns in the living room and they're off to some sort of roaring 20s style get together. So they're practicing doing the Charleston and other ridiculous dances. Yes. Alice is a member of the family. Yeah. Uh, it's just well, a... po- potato sack races in the backyard. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the, they really had no choice but to be close together because the three boys had to share one room and the three girls had to share another room for most of the show. And they would turn from the closest of siblings to all of a sudden, whatever reason, one sibling was on the outs and they would turn at the drop of a hat. When Bobby is accused of stealing Kitty Carryall, Bam, Bobby's guilty. They all turn against him. They put him on trial for God's sakes. Well, it's also, but they, they're also kind of random with that because later when mom always said, don't play ball in the house, they go way out of their way to protect Peter to this whole thing. Like an absurd amount of effort to shield Peter from the wrath of Mike Brady and Carol Brady, which must. The, the, their wrath must be exquisite because the schemes these kids go through to not disappoint these two in like supernaturally nice people is is amazing. Um, like the, the episode that I'm talking about, they just like every single kid goes out of there. They go through like an, an I am Spartacus moment with the parents, literally about breaking the damn vase in the house. Even Alice puts herself yes. on the line for yes. breaking the vase. Right. And all because they wanted Peter to be able to go on his camping trip. Well, and that's and that's the kind of funny part. The the other fear may have been, you know, it was the early seven, late sixties, early seventies. They may have been af- afraid that they've already got five five other kids. They have nothing to lose by getting rid of me. They just dropped me off at the orphanage. I hey, based on their conversation, I'm getting ahead, I guess, but based on their conversation with um, Joe Namath, that does kind of sound like it. That got, well, that's like a weird episode too. That's a really weird and dark episode, but we could we could touch upon that later. Um, but yeah, like you're right. Like they go from they go from turning on each other immediately to again going out of their way so that Peter can go on this camping trip. When Peter was ready to just say like, "Yeah, I broke it. I'm sorry," they're all like, "No, Peter, no, you can't." Which well, because the reality of the situation is Mike was tough but fair. Right, but how tough could he have been for them to episode after episode after episode escape his disappointment? Like, there's almost a dark implication there. Like, at some point, he must have lost his mind. Like, is he secretly Jack Torrance? Well, I I almost think that it comes right down to Mike is like, I'm always tough, but I'm always fair, so why don't they just come to me? I never punish them that bad. It's so ridiculous that they go through all this rather than just, I, I tell them every episode, you can come to me. It's not going to be that big a deal. I'll punish you, but you'll be fine. Let's like let's take ourselves to the more famous episode, which anybody who has seen the show must remember to some extent, which uh, or episode arc, which is when they go to Hawaii. Um, and heck, I even want to talk about the Grand Canyon one real quick, but uh, we'll, we'll go to the Hawaii one. We'll skip ahead of Hawaii, which is a great episode uh, with the t- with the tiki idol, the taboo idol, all of that's fantastic. But just just to put Mike in perspective, right? Uh, Vincent Price playing Hubert, the crazed um, archaeologist who's convinced that um, Peter, uh, Bobby, and, and Greg are going to, like, steal some archaeological finders. These three random kids who just, like, show up Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo style in this cave, straight up with Scooby-Doo music, and it's fantastic and kind of creepy. Anyway, he ties them up, right, and, like, holds them hostage for a while. 
And when Mike finds all of this out, like he's basically kidnapped his kids or held them against their will or whatever and like terrorized them. He's like the guest of honor later at the Luau for helping find stuff. And they're doing like dances. And he's just like, everything's cool. He let the kids go. Well, yeah. And then, you know, earlier when they're, when they're going to the, um, when they ultimately go to the Grand Canyon, but they stop at the dude ranch and the old prospector steals their car. And like, like locks them up and steals their car. And they're just locks, cool with it. <laughs> locks them up in the jail, abandons them in the ghost town, makes off with their car. And then like, yeah, but he was coming back. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Like we we met him on the road back. He was coming back to rest to to, to let us go. It's you know, bygones be bygones. This Forgive is give and forget. That's Mike Brady. This is the Mike Brady the kids are terrified of <laughs> to go through all of these schemes to avoid. Going back to the Vincent Price as Hubert Whitehead. What's with the name Oliver? He named one mm-hmm. of the Tiki idols Oliver, and then later on. Oliver is the cousin that comes lift. What's with the name? Some one of the writers had a had a fixation on the name Oliver. I, yeah, I, I I saw that too. Like I'll like I'll admit I haven't. Unlike you, who who has watched the Brady Bunch one way or the other for you know throughout the years, I got saturated uh, from it for the you know from the aforementioned being constantly on TV after school. Like I I got saturated from it. I got burned out to the point where I forgot how much I did like the show. I knew I respected it. I knew I enjoyed it. And I liked the movies and stuff, but I'm glad going back to, in this case, Hulu, which has most of the episodes um, being able to refresh myself. It's like, it's like you said, it's a very charming show. It's fun to watch a show where people care about each other. Um, It's, you know, it's, you don't really get that anymore. Going back to the Simpsons, like that's what things are now. They're very kind of caustic, which can be fun and funny, but. There's only about, I think there's 117 episodes total of the series and with two a day it's and you we watched it for years Mm -hmm. decades we must we must have seen every episode at least 10 times sure at least 10 times so yeah i could see where you would get saturated with it but i mean you know the these again the kids were goofy but then you know there's some of the stuff they would come up with like the episode where they're it's it's basically a prank of scaring each other Mm -hmm. And, you know, first the, the boys put a fake ghost outside the girls' windows. Yeah. And then, like, oh, we're going to scare you. Bet you can't. Well, bet you won't sleep the whole night in the attic. And then the girls put a fake ghost up in the attic. Right. And then Alice is laughing at them both because there's no such thing as ghosts. So they all team up to scare Alice. And then Mike Brady gets his head busted open. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Mike... Mike, um, Mike is a strange like that. It, it is cool that everybody kind of does get their um, chance to shine uh, in their own in their own random ways. Um, one everybody of everybody got every character got their episode. Yes, yeah, and they all do really great in it. Um, but one of the things I kind of noticed episode to episode is Cindy's like a schemer. Man, she's a little dark. Like some of the stuff that she says just comes off as a little sinister. Like, for example, when she's the tattletale and she's just, well, I like it. <laughs> she's like, now granted, she's young. So you figure, okay, that's just whatever from that episode. But there are later episodes where she's still kind of like, man, Cindy, <laughs> you're a little dark. I mean, you know, the youngest girl and the youngest of all the children. So yeah, I could yeah. see where she'd have a little, you know. Like, she's not mean straight up, but she's the one who came up with the whole idea of Bobby being, like, deathly ill for uh, Joe Namath. Like, that's where her mind yes. goes, you know? 
Well, let's. I mean, like Jan has obviously obviously just psychological issues where she's in her own mind talking with herself, and making up voices, and yeah, you, you, you're almost ready for the just kill them all, Jan. Kill them while they're sleeping, Jan. Burn the house down, Jan. Well, <laughs> go ahead. She constantly lived in Marsha's shadow, but put a pin in that. Put a pin in the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha attitude of Jan, because I will cycle back to that when we get to spinoffs of the show. Yes, I was going to say, yeah, we have to get to, because that just, that yeah, that pays off in a, in a, in a totally, unexpected, in a different way. Um, but or not in the way, not in what you're thinking of. Because okay. I know you haven't seen it, but. Oh yeah, or at least if I had, it's if I'm, if it is what I'm now thinking of. No, I either never seen it or it's been forever. Um, let's let's go through the kids one at a time. Sure. We'll start with Greg, who was okay. you know always the oldest, always you know pretty you know he didn't really have too much of a problem hanging out with his younger brothers, even when he did need his when he became a man and his fantastic his pad. Own pad, his oh, funky pad. That if you watch anything of this show. That would be one of the ones to watch, or at least find somewhere Greg's amazing, amazing bedroom. I forget the bedroom, the outfit he wears. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And that's not even the Johnny Bravo one. No. Then we get to, you know, Marsha, oldest sister, who was, um, you know, almost den mother sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, and... Let's let's leave out all the the shenanigans of the you know cast members because I I do want to point out that there's a commentary I have the DVDs for all the episodes and you have a neat set you talked about that actually Mike not my uh, Barry Williams Cindy Olsen I who was I think Chris Knight was all do commentary for a, the camping we will go episode okay and. Chris Knight just says offhandedly, like, Greg, we know you and Marsha, you know, dated a little bit. And you you, you kind of, you know, when did you first b- notice Marsha? And, and Barry Williams answers, the pilot. Yeah. And she does grow up. Marsha grew up to be very attractive. Yep. yep. Uh, you, you got Peter, you know, the middle child who has a couple of standout episodes. And yes. often the... Um, Some of my favorite episodes are Peter episodes, actually. He's often the voice of reason. He's often the one that comes up with the plan. Like Greg will have an idea, but Peter has the way of initiating the idea. Right. Um, Peter has usually the the plan to bring the family together, except for like later in the later episodes when he tries to become his own person, he becomes a little bit scheming, but right uh there is the episode where he becomes an eavesdropper which you know you kind of want to throttle him a bit but right right jan we've kind of discussed jan has definitely middle child anxiety sure which is recognized by alice who buys her that special gift in that episode where she gives the light and the locket disappears and then they find it because the chain broke and what have you and then there's bobby you know the perennial little brother who in the final seasons with, uh, well, the final eight episodes, I think, Oliver is in eight episodes. He gets Oliver has his little sidekick. Right. Um, Alice, the beloved the beloved housekeeper who was basically a member of the family, even lived there. She had her own little sure. room. Yep. Yep. Um, 
Let's talk. I, I do want to talk a bit about Ann B. Davis because sure. she was already an Emmy award winning actress when she was cast in the show. I didn't know that. She was in a show called, oh, it's named after a specific person, the Bob Carlyle Show or something. Anyway, she played the secretary. Uh, okay. Secretary named Schultze. And she won two Emmy Awards for this character. Now, there's two important things about this character of Schultze. Not only did they win, did it win Ann B. Davis the Academy Award uh, Emmy Awards, Pepper Potts of the Iron Man comic books and movie, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Pepper Potts is based on the character of Schultze. Very cool. She's the girl Friday to Tony Stark. That you know, and that's what Schultz's character. Schultz was the secretary of the main character who had a crush on her boss. Very in, cool. Okay. In the first Brady Bunch movie, when Ann B. Davis has her cameo as the truck driver who helps talk Jan down from running away, she identifies herself as Schultze. So okay. it's a throwback to her her Emmy Award winning character. Whether it's she's playing that character years later as a truck driver or it's just a name drop, it you know, it came full circle for Alice. And if you watch a lot of the early episodes too, and again I'm gonna bring up a camping we will go, where she has this whole scene as they're setting up for the night in the camp. You know, the girls are already to go to bed, but she's putting on her face cream, she's putting on her curlers, yep. she's pumping up the mattress, she gets into the bed, and there's a lot of physical comedy. They gave Alice a lot of that stuff because she was the most veteran actor of the whole thing. They knew Ann B. Davis could carry a scene if they didn't have anything else. Because let's face it, the kids were uh, Marsha, sorry, Maureen McCormick and Barry Williams had some credits to their name before this, and Robert Reed was established as well. But Alice, Ann B. Davis was one of the go-tos for scenes because the creators of the show knew she could carry the scene. And she does. And, you know, um, it wasn't until you just, met, you know, went through that, that uh, I realized that you're right. She does carry, um, she, I mean, the kids are great in the show, obviously, and everybody is, but uh, she does carry quite a few scenes and um, pretty much all of hers are as like a comedic, you know, comedy relief. Some physical um, comedy as well. She did a absolutely. lot of physical comedy. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, like, um, the, well, that's the thing. Like, whatever the kids are up to, she's always, like, part of it, um, whether it's, like, practicing, you know, bandaging for uh, Boy Scouts or whatever. Um, whatever. I forget exactly what Jan was doing. But it's, uh, you know, when she was tying her up, uh, not tying her up, but trying to tourniquet, like, the two broken arms or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, she's always she's always right in the middle of whatever the kids are doing. And as we said before in, in the episode where, you know, Brady, uh, Bobby, Peter, rather, breaks the vase, she even goes out of her way to protect the kids. Um, you know, she's, she's, well, I, I guess to, to give a little bit of a backstory, right? Um, because Carol, you know, Carol's a housewife. So you might be wondering if you're not familiar with the show, where does uh, Alice come in? And Alice was from uh, Mike's previous marriage, right? Mike's previous family, um, who I think, I don't remember if they say, but Mike's wife died, is, uh, died right? Mike is. And Alice was already with Okay. With Mr. Brady and the boys when when uh, he marries Carol and Carol and the girls join join the household. Right. So she had already helped raise the boys from whatever that family was. So that's that's a lot while Alice why Alice is there. Like she is the carryover to that family for him. 
Um, and she's, yeah, she's great. And then there is that one episode in a later season where, again, the Brady kids just turn on a dime on mm. poor Alice because they think Alice is ratting them out to their parents. Right. And Alice is so heartbroken, she quits and goes, gets a job at, uh, at an ice cream coffee shop. And the kids feel so terrible. At first, the kids are like, well, we're glad she's gone. And then they realize right. what a hole that it is left in their lives. And they go get her back. Right. Especially for, right, especially for the boys. But Much, plus, it's like season those, or something. So she had been around for a while. They are so cruel to Alice. Yes, in that episode, you can't you can't blame Alice for breaking down to tears and 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 leaving. Well, and that's and that's one of the things I appreciate about the show. They don't over dramatize. Like when the kids are being cruel, they don't over dramatize it. Kids being it, kids, it's all done for comic. You effect. know, it's all over the top. Well, you no, know, you can't take it seriously. Well, that and it's also under the vein of these are children. Like they're not really developed in that way yet. Like they don't really. Th- think beyond themselves in a lot well, of ways and beyond whatever their own personal impulse is. And like, that's where kind of Cindy comes in. Like that's still where she's at, the, you know, Brady, and uh, that's what the show tries to show you. They're not evil, but they are kids. Like they're going to do dumb the stuff. Brady's do live in their own special little sunshine world. Sure. Sure. But at the same time, they, they do do some dumb, you know, d- very disagreeable stuff. Sometimes they come back from the brink of it. Like when Greg was going to try to sell his horrible car, to his quote unquote friend, but couldn't go through with it. Cause I, like, I, I, one of the things I liked about that episode too, is when Mike was, when, you know, when Mike gives him the speech of like, Hey man, you went in head first. You were supposed to have me look at the car. You didn't, you did this all yourself. And yeah, like he swindled you, but you walked into it. And you know, when Greg then takes that conversation and he's then trying to swindle his own friend out of getting out of his, out from under his own car. And Mike is like, Greg, that's what you took from that. <laughs> you know? Cause I was thinking the same thing. It's like, geez, Greg, that's what you took from that. <laughs> But the show does that a lot. It has the kids walk the line of, oh, man, like, really, you're going to do this? But then they always have the conscience that runs out, which is probably the most appreciable part of the show. And, and Mike and Carol understand that. And that's ultimately why things kind of work out, which is not necessarily like, look, is it like you said, is it a very sunshine? Like, if you want to be super cynical, is it a very sunshine worldview? I suppose. But it's not an awful one either, especially in most of the situations that these kids are involved in, which is more silly. Than yeah, I mean, it's again, most of the silly shows and they get a silly way out of certain things. Harmless. You yeah. know, like the, the time where there's there's the episode where Carol's in a fender bender and it was the other driver's fault, but he tries to... Mm-hmm scam the system he tries to get the the brady's to pay for all this damage to the car that wasn't done and he shows up in court in a neck brace and and then mike drops his briefcase to get the guy to turn his head it's like ah he he turned his head he's he's scamming us yep there's there's some timelessness to this show like even though it took place not the clothing no well no well, you know what? Stuff comes back. So I can't necessarily say not. Definitely not Greg's bedroom, but I kind of want that bedroom. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Just for a moment. I mean, it would probably be headache inducing very quickly. But, you know. uh, one of the things I also like about the show is half the time they turn on the TV, it's either cartoons and the king of cartoons or it's a, or the same cowboy a, a Western movie that's in mid cowboy and Indian gunfight. Yep, always the same fight, always. 
Except for when they were watching Jesse James. They were trying to watch Jesse James and they were complaining about the yes. editing, which is still a thing. I mean, even even in 1972 or whatever it would have been at the time. Edited for television. You know. Let's talk about, because yeah, that's, a, that's one of my favorite episodes. Bobby Brady decides he <laughs> admires Jesse James, probably mostly because of the movies. There, there are many movies that portray Jesse James as an outlaw hero. Right. And this is a timeless message, too, actually. So, yeah. you know, Bobby Brady, he writes his report about Jesse James and he gets what? A D or a, he gets a low, a C minus. And for me personally, it's like, well, did he get a C minus because he picked Jesse James as the hero or because it was a poorly written essay? Because that's two different things you're grading on there, guy. You, right. If right, it's exactly. a well written essay, you got to give him the grade. But, anyways. Like, what is the class? Is it civics or is it, you know, what is yeah. the class here? So, of course, they're bothered by, Mike and Carol are bothered by Bobby's admiration of a vicious outlaw. And so when Bobby wants to watch the TV episode, uh, a movie that's airing on TV, they're like, oh, this is perfect. That por- that movie, we've seen it. It portrays Jesse James as a bad dude. He kills several people in it. So they let him stay up and watch it, and they watch it with, with him. But unfortunately, all the bad stuff is edited out, and Jesse James just comes out looking more heroic. Then you get that. Well, then Mike finds out a guy wrote a book about Jesse James, and the guy who wrote the book's father was murdered by Jesse James. So he invites the guy over, and man, the Bradys have no problem getting anybody over to their house, do they? No. No, Don Drysdale, yep. uh, famous heiresses, famous. Uh, anyways, yep. so the, he invites the guy over and introduces him to Bobby, and the 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 guy basically makes his case with Bobby that no, Jesse James wasn't a good guy. He wasn't a hero to me. He actually shot my father in a in his back after he'd already taken his money. And then Bobby has this amazing dream. Where they're all yep. on the train in the old Wild West and having a good time traveling on the Iron Steed when Jesse James comes in to rob them. And it's both horrifying and hilarious at the same time. Because Jesse James gets them to all face their back against the wall and Bobby's like, wow, you're my hero and I wrote an essay about you. And he, Hands in his pants. Yeah. You know. Jesse James says, that's great. And then he starts murdering the Brady Bunch by going bang, bang, bang. The Brady Bunch goes down in the most exaggerated dying, you know, hammed up dying. But all the while, Bobby is horrified. Bobby plays it straight with his horror. Like, no, no, this is my family. What are you doing? As they're all being killed. So it's a hilarious, horrifying segment that, you know, I got to give it to the guy who played Jesse James as well, because he carries He's it great. off very well, too. Oh, yeah, his glee, his, like, maniacal evil glee in his eyes. He's he's fantastic, and I was I was disappointed to see he wasn't in much else, because he kills that role so well. He's so evil in that role. And you're right, like, yeah, he's just shooting him in the back on bang, bang, with his finger. Tackling. Which is, it's surreal. Tackling. No, he's got an it's- exaggerated gun, but. Yeah, it's so, oh yeah, yeah. It's the most cartoonishly huge gun, and it's it's super surreal. And that's right, you're right. I thought it was his finger for some reason. I remember it now. Yeah, he had that he had that big gun. But what's 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 cool with that, or I don't know, cool. But anyway, what I noticed about that scene is, like you said, when the when the family is being shot and they're going through their exaggerated dying, 
it's like they're actually in an action movie because their deaths are pretty good and their screams are pretty creepy. <laughs> like if I'm Bobby, I'm kind of freaking out too because it certainly looks real to me. Like for real, if I'm just if I if if I'm just like there with my family and I don't know it's a dream or whatever, like I haven't figured it out it's a dream yet. I don't care what I think he's murdering. Like their reactions are pretty pretty good, you know. Like that's why that scene kind of sticks with me. It's like the shrieks that that the girls give off. It's like damn, they they wow. But it, yeah, it's an iconic scene. Another one of my favorite episodes, and I, I'm not even sure why, but it's the one titled The Cincinnati Kids, and it's where they go off to Kings Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati because Mike is mm-hmm. plan, has drawn up the plans for a uh, new section of the amusement park that plans to be opened. And I, I just I think it's just because, again, you see the Brady's most of that show takes place within the Brady Bunch house. Right, or yeah, exactly, the backyard. This was another one of those episodes that just showed the Bradys out in the world. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. a day at a pretty great amusement park. You know, all oh, different yeah. types of rides, all different. And, and, and I also just enjoy, so, you know, they're there because Mike is there to deliver plans. And... Jan has bought a girl back home a poster as a gift, and she doesn't want the poster to get crushed, so she borrows one of the cardboard tubes Mike is using to hold the plans in, and of course they get mixed up, and Jan loses the plans, and they have to search the park because Mike needs the plans by the deadline because the people approving the plans are getting on a plane, and so they find the plans, and there's this epic... I don't know how big the park actually is. I'm sure they just had to edit it to make it seem more. But there's this epic journey and handoff as, you know, first Marsha and Jan run across the park yep. and they find Alice and they hand it off to Alice. And then Alice runs across the park until she can't run anymore. But she finds Cindy and Bobby, Bobby and they take the plans and they run off to hand it off to Greg. And Greg is like, okay, Peter, let's go. And if I was Peter, I was like, why? you got the plans. I don't need to run. Exactly. I'm going over there. For exactly. Popcorn. I'll see you when the hell all this turns out. But no, they you know they go oh. go off to. Yet they all seem to meet up at the end. They all must have kept right. running because they're all there at the same time. Right. Um, speaking of speaking of popcorn, you I mean that's pretty much your favorite snack food, um, and popcorn is a wonderful snack food. When when Greg going backtracking back to that um, Hawaiian episode, and they're trying to find like the secret cave that they're supposed to uh, bury the, the tiki idol at uh, the taboo rather at the um, you know at the cave of the return first the taboo idol to the graves. Yes, the, to the grave of the first cheaper. Um, they're like, oh, you know, so we don't get lost. We need to leave a trail, and and P, uh, Bobby's eating popcorn, and Greg's like, oh, we'll leave the popcorn behind, which has a thousand flaws, and- but. I can imagine me in a dire situation trying to pry your popcorn away from me. You, you, I'll be Bobby. No, no, I like my popcorn. And then Peter's like, what do you like better, your popcorn or your life? And Bobby gives up the popcorn. Me, I might be like, how long do I got to think of it? Let me finish my popcorn, and then I'll answer right. the question. Right. Now, to be fair... The popcorn, unless it was literally bought like after they were dropped off at the bus, which my, I, the, the, they very quickly say, like, even the bus driver was surprised. Actually, let's go back to that real quick, because I don't want to skip past Mr. Honolay. I forgot about old Mr. Honolay. 
where he's telling them this like horrifying story. I mean, it's not super gruesome, but he's like, I would never go there. My dad, he says, my dad told me how to go there and well, then said, never go there. No, no, no. Mr. Like, Honnelly, well... <laughs> let's establish Mr. Honnelly is the guy who knows all the superstition about the island. Right. And they know if right. they go to him, he will tell them how to break the curse. And he tells them that they need to bring the idol to a secret grave site of the ancient chiefs. And like you were saying, he said, my father told me where it is, but he told me never to go there. Almost like he told me where it was, so I would know to stay away from there. Fair enough, okay. And he instructs... But to me, it sounded like, here's exactly where to go, but don't go. But yeah, he then instructs the boys on how to get there and where to place the idol once they get there. So they, you know, they wisely get there during daylight, but they, they, you know, the next scene you see them is them coming off, actually it's a few scenes later, but you see them coming off the bus to wherever, I guess the bus goes by this place. And they remarked that the bus driver was, you know, the bus driver almost didn't want to let us off. I mean, he did anyway, <laughs> but apparently like, yeah, that's a spooky enough place, but these three are just fine with it because they got to get rid of this curse that they're convinced that they have. And yeah, uh, Greg's best idea is we'll leave behind some popcorn. But anyway, like if that popcorn even survived to that spot, that implies some like haunted popcorn stand, I guess, right outside where that bus dropped off. Because it wouldn't. Well, be. that's uh, yeah. Well, then that's something Mike points out later when he finds the trail, and Carol's like, "This popcorn could have been here forever." And he says, "No, no, with all the birds around here, to be you know, this is a fresh right. trail." And Bobby's yeah. always eating popcorn. I like that Bobby. Uh, yeah, that exactly. Bobby knows how to snack. Yeah, exactly. He knows his snack food. And um, he'll he'll go out of his way to meet Joe Namath. Or at least Cindy will help him go out of his way to meet Joe Namath. Uh, another favorite episode of mine is a Peter-centric episode where he meets his double. And for whatever yes. reason, it's like, well, let's prank each other's family. And it's like, and again, who wouldn't? If you met your, oh, if you right. met your twin, you would be like, let's change places and see how many people we could fool. Completely. You got to at least try once. Um, so this is, a, I mean, this is a definite recommend, um, you know, or at least a rewatch, I guess, if you're already familiar with I the mean, show. You know, it holds up. If you've never watched the Brady Bunch, there's probably a reason you haven't, and that's fine. But right, like, like we said, it's there's there's episodes available on Hulu for some reason. Not every episode; they just have a scattering of episodes. Yeah. And if you haven't watched it in a while because you have an opinion of the show. Your opinion's probably right. It is a goofy, corny show, but it's fun. It's it's comfort food. It's a Big Mac and fries or, you know, whatever your favorite simple meal to just curl up and enjoy. I mean, um, I'm, I'm with, it's it's candy. I'm with you completely, man. Like, um, when I was going to rewatch it again, I, that was my thought. It's like, gee, I remember liking this when I was much younger. Will it, you know, I didn't expect it to hold up. And when I say it holds up, I don't necessarily mean in the same way that a more modern show that was just finished a few years ago would. I, I mean, in the sense that it is still very entertaining. Um, you know, when, when, when you take it exactly as it is, it's still a very entertaining show. The, the, the kids are a lot of fun. You will find yourself chuckling at some really goofy, very silly uh, uh, stuff. And, um, you know, kind of appreciating what they were trying to do there. Now, there was one last thing I want to bring up about the the original show and and Mike Brady. Robert Reed played Mike Brady, and he was forced into the role because he was under contract with the studio. And Mm -hmm. 
Mike Brady was a very serious act. Uh, sorry, Robert Reed was took himself very seriously as an actor. He liked Shakespeare. He liked drama. He hated being in this show, but you would never get a sense of that by watching him. No, in no way, shape, or form does his hatred for being there come through. He apparently had shouting matches with Sherwood Schwartz and the creators of the show. He wanted, you know, he wanted more intelligence scripts. He found the show to be dumb. So there was there, there was a lot of con- he, I guess he made Sherwood Schwartz miserable. Really? But even Sherwood Schwartz says when he was on set when the cameras were rolling, you never got that impression. And I guess he loved the kids. He seemed to, because you could see it, like in the way they acted. I mean, they, granted, he's a ter- he's a terrific actor, but like you could really feel in in the way that he talked to him and the way they smiled to each other that it did look like, and I hope it was ultimately a fun show to do. Now, granted, these are kids; want to be kids, and they're stars, and there's a whole lot of stuff going but on. I but I guess he even uh, took them on trips. They would go on vacations together as a, a, a surrogate family. So really cool. I mean. Uh, from everything I've ever heard, Robert Reed adored those kids. Now, oh, and he peace. came back for all the reunions. And yes, he unfortunately developed colon cancer, which ended up taking his life. But one of the last calls he made was to Florence Henderson because he, he took it. This was a private. Nobody knew he was sick. He was it was a very private man in his private life. One of the last calls he made about a week before he finally passed, and I guess he knew he was going, was to Florence Henderson, and he explained to her how sick he was, and he asked her to tell the kids, meaning all the actors and actresses that had played the Brady kids, who were all adults at this point, oh, wow. but he still referred to them as the kids. Yeah, because this is what, mid-90s, I want to say? Early 90s, it was 92. Early 90s, okay, yeah. I wanted to say it was like 94. Yeah. Uh, Florence Henderson oh, oh. passed away just about three years ago. Very recently. Um, and Ann B. Davis passed away a few years. I think in 2008, Ann B. Davis passed away. Mm-hmm. But now, back to, I guess, you didn't rewatch the final episode, which isn't really a final episode. The Brady Bunch doesn't have like that real finale, which most shows didn't at the time. But in the last episode, Greg graduates high school and there's a big thing because Bobby was selling this terrible hair tonic that nobody wanted to buy and he convinces Greg to use it and it turns Greg's hair orange. Okay, I remember this. And they have to get his hair back to the regular color for graduation. Mike Brady is not in that episode. Robert Reed is nowhere to be seen because from what I understand, Sherwood Swartz, they knew it was their final. They knew they hadn't been renewed. So they knew this was pretty much mm-hmm. their last episode. And I guess Mike, uh, Robert Reed was again upset about something in the script and Sherwood Swartz said, just go home. We don't need you. Mm-hmm. He's nowhere to be seen in the final episode. Interesting. And you know, considering Greg was graduating from college, the kids were all in high school and much older it was probably the best place for the show to end anyways it would have been been nice to maybe have a goodbye episode but 
such as it is, it's it was a good enough ending point for it anyways. No, it probably shouldn't have gone on for another season anyway, exactly. At least not without being a vastly different, like retooled. Like it just would have been dumb. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Now, during the, I think between season four and five, or during season. Although it does come back. Well, Sorry. during season, the, the time seasons four and but five were airing, the, the first spinoff was the animated series, The Brady Kids. And for the first 17 episodes of that show, the Brady kids do all their own voices for the characters in the cartoon. It is not a good show. No. I've, I have all the episodes of that as well. I basically, I got the Bradyest box set ever, which has every episode of the yeah, Brady Bunch. It. it has every episode. The only thing it doesn't have is the Brady Bunch variety hour because they could not license all the music they used for the Brady Bunch hour. Oh, that makes sense. So okay. it, why don't you just explain what it is? Well, it has, it has quick, every, you... all five seasons of the Brady Bunch, all 22 episodes of the animated series. Uh, I think all eight episodes of the Brady Brides, the very Brady Christmas, the Brady's TV show, the two Brady Bunch theatrical movies, which were basically self-parodies, and the Brady Bunch TV movie, the Brady's in the White House, which is the third part of that theatrical series. Which I guess I completely forgot existed because I remember the first two movies. They're great. I don't, I didn't even know there was a the third. third one was direct to TV. So the cartoon um, series was by filmation and it only the, Carol, Mike and Alice are nowhere to be seen. And it, it focuses on the Brady kids and it is a bizarre show to say the least. They have a magic talking minor bird voiced by Larry Storch. And by magic, I mean the the bird is a wizard. Okay. They have a dog named Mop Top and two pandas. And they... Because? They go on bizarre adventures. They meet in one episode because of a magic spell the minor bird named Marlin transports the Lone Ranger's horse Silver to their treehouse. So they team up with the Lone Ranger and Tonto to get Silver back. There's an episode where they team up with Superman. There's an episode where they team up with Wonder Woman. There's an episode where they get lost on a mysterious island and encounter uh, an alien spaceship. It's a bizarre show. and But unfortunately not entertaining it, either because it sounds like it should be. It wasn't. It just... Uh, it's, I mean, the humor is so grown inducing. So much is, is, is done about basically, usually it's the minor bird casts a spell and causes shenanigans. Like in one episode, he gets trapped in a, in a can of soda and they have to find the can of soda after shipped out in order to get the bird back. It is. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend it if you're, you know, you want to see the Brady kids team up with Superman and Wonder Woman. I think my problem is I tried to binge watch it. I think if I had just taken one episode at a time, I might have been able to get through it better. 
But after watching four or five episodes in a row, I was like, all right, I'm done with this. Do, do you know anything of the backstory of how it came about? Like, was it just... Because it seems to it seems to me like it was the premise of a completely different cartoon that they stitched the Brady kids onto. I guess initially it was a, a just a one hour Saturday special that was the first two episodes, because the okay. first two episodes are a two parter. So I guess it was an, a, a Saturday special, and it must have had good enough ratings that they were like, "All right, well we'll turn this into a Saturday morning kid show." Okay. And this took place, or I should say, the show was on the air when? What year? It so. was in 73, 74, so. Okay, so the show, like you said, was still on the air, but it was this last season, yes. I guess. Yes. Okay. So then, of course, um, after the, the, the show was canceled in 74, it went into syndication in 75. And due to that and it, you know again due to its popularity in syndication well they came up with the Brady Bunch hour which was a variety show where everybody but Eve Plum came back and they just hired a replacement Jan and it was singing and it was dancing and it was sketches and i remember watching it as a kid but i i honestly don't remember much about it other than that it's often considered one of the worst shows ever put on television like um, like a Star Wars holiday special type of thing, yeah. Yeah. In gotcha. 1981, so 19, yeah, 1981. Seven years. So six or seven years after the show went off the air, there was supposed to well, the re, the reunion movie, the Brady Girls Get Married, was pitched and filmed, and then the network decided let's turn this into a series. And so instead of airing it as a as a two hour reunion film, they cut the first three episodes into the the first. They cut the movie into three episodes and turned them into the first three episodes of the Brady Brides. Okay. And this was the only time for those first three episodes that the entire original cast of the Brady Bunch reunited. Everybody's back. Uh, mm-hmm. Barry Williams, Christopher Knight, Mike Lookalind, Robert Reed, Florence Henderson, Maureen McCormick, Ann B. Davis, Ave Plume, and um, Susan Olson. They're all back. Mm-hmm. Now, then from after the third episode, you basically get the... It becomes about Jan and Marsha and their husbands, and they move into a house together because they can't afford a house on their own. The basic premise there is it's almost the odd couples. Jen and her husband are the much more straight-laced professionals. Masha and her husband are like the bohemian, wild, and crazy lifestyle people. Now, the Brady girls get married prove that it was not all in Jan's head that Masha was treated better. Because the opening of the Brady Brides is Janet home. She has become an architect. Her longtime boyfriend, this guy she's been seeing for a while, comes in and he proposes to her and she accepts. So when she goes and gives the good news to her parents, Carol and Mike, you know, he's proposed to me and I've said yes. They both get their look on their face and they basically start saying, well, but Marsha's not getting married and, and Marsha's your older sister and 
Marsha should probably get married first before you get married. It's unbelievable. It really is Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. It's like, are you kidding me? Jan, Jan, a grown woman, can't get married until March. Eventually, Mike and Carol realize how stupid this is, too. But the fact that it went through their heads at all is just proof that Jan was living in Marsha's shadow. Now, as it turns out, Marsha actually feels bad, too, that this is her parents' attitude. And she ends up meeting a guy and telling her all about it. And the guy goes, well, if it'll help, I'll marry you. And she does. That's one way to resolve it. I mean, they, 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 they do end up dating for a while and they do get married and um, they all appear again. And it only lasted like five or six episodes. It is a very short-lived series. And it's not bad, but there was nothing good about it either. There was nothing to set it apart. It was a show based on nostalgia. And I think that's the problem is it was geared to be a, a sitcom at night, probably for adults. But most of the appeal of the Brady Bunch is to kids. Right. And let me tell you, right. again, you can tell it's 1981 because they found out uh, found a way to bring a sassy black actor into the show, a jive-talking kid who would smart talk to the, to the adults. Nice. And this would be before um, Different Strokes, no, right? No, Different Strokes would have been on the air. Probably, I think it okay. would have been in its third or fourth season at the time. So would they have been trying to create maybe different oh, yeah. strokes? Oh, they were definitely like, trying to get the, uh, the Arnold Jackson vibe in the show. Yeah. So after that, you get in, I believe it's 1988 comes a very Brady Christmas. And for mm-hmm. this, everybody but Susan Olsen returns. And from what I understand, Susan Olsen had just been married and was on her honeymoon when they needed to film. So that's why she's replaced. And it's a, you know, fun little, again, everybody comes home. Uh, Greg is a doctor and he's married with a young boy. Uh, Jan and Marsha are still married and the people, the guys who played their husbands in the show come back to play the husbands again. Um, and, you know, again, it's a Christmas, it's a Christmas Brady reunion. The popularity of that led into... The Brady's, yep. the comeback, the comeback, and a lot of a lot of critics. I mean, Thirty Something was a show, a popular show at the time. So a lot of critics said, "Oh, this is just Brady something." The Brady kids yeah. dealing with being in their thirties, and and that's really the mistake of the show. Like mm-hmm. I said, Marcia, uh, Maureen McCormick didn't come back, so she's replaced. But yeah, you have in the show, Masha has to deal with alcoholism. Right. Her husband has lost his job, so they have to move back in with uh, Mike and Carol. Bobby yeah. was a race car driver who was in an accident and he gets paralyzed from the waist down. Mike is yep. running for city council. I mean, again, this is it wasn't that it was bad, but it was based on nostalgia for the Brady Bunch. And right. here's the other thing. With no understanding of the source material, really, or with no consideration. Well, I, obviously, they wanted to do something different. But the thing is, as we mentioned, the Brady Bunch has been on pretty much nonstop since it originally aired. 
So there's doesn't have that need to like, well, let's see what they're up to because you feel like the Brady you've never left. The you, right. you know you can't miss something that's always been around. It's interesting to see what they're doing or what they've been up to, but not for an extended series. And I think if they had just kept it to reunion movies, they would have been fine and very popular. But once you see them, you don't want to see what's going on with them, and you certainly don't want to see the dark side. At least, right? At least not in that way. And you know, it's also not late. 60s to early 70s television anymore so you can't necessarily you know you can't necessarily have the old right the, the tv landscape had changed i th- i think it's like you said like it would have made more sense as just random movies like where are they now type of snippets into their lives 10 years later 20 years later and so on and that would have served its purpose and everybody would have been fine with it. and then shortly after the brady's was canceled it was about a year or two later that robert reed passed away and then, as we mentioned, there was in the 90s, the two theatrical movies, the the Brady Bunch movie and the very Brady sequel, which were basically self-parody. But they were still a lot of fun and they were a loving parody. Outstanding parodies. Yeah. The very uh, the Brady movie is fantastic. Um, the, the, the both of really the first two are both very good. But the first one, um, if you only see one, it's it's fantastic. It is pretty much the show. But transported to, I guess, what the mid '90s or late—I forget exactly when it came out. Yeah, the, the 90s. Um, but it's essentially never changed and still lived in their own like '70s world. It's done in such a brilliant, offbeat way. It's really well done. And you want to run through that cast if you remember them. I mean, I remember Mike is um, uh, Gary Cole. Gary Cole. Uh, Shelley Long plays Mike. Uh, is, yeah, and then um, Christine Taylor, who is—I assume—is still married to Ben Stiller. No, I think they're. I think they've uh, since broken oh, that's up. Too bad. Yeah, Christine Taylor, who's a very good likeness for Dead um, Ringer for Maureen McCormick. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, if like like we said, if you haven't checked out the show in a long time, check it out. And instead of doing recommendations for something else, I, I say what we do is recommend a few episodes. Oh sure. Sure. So, I mean, I think we kind of did, but yeah. Let's well, like going. I said, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati kids where, you know, they visit uh, King's Island Amusement Park. I don't recall the title of the episode, but it's the one where Bob uh, Peter saves a young girl from a wall falling over at a toy shop and the heroism goes to his head. Yep. The Law and Disorder episode where Bobby is made safety monitor and it goes right to his head. He turns into Joe Friday for crying out loud. And what (laughs) what you want to pay attention secret police at the beginning of that episode is the episode where Barry Williams was high on pot. He was, he'd been smoking because it was supposed to be his day off. So, you know, he's just getting high and they called him in to film a scene. And if you look for it, the scene starts with him pipe pumping up the tire of his bike. And if you look for it, you can see that he is high as a kite for that that scene. Yep. Um, oh, for me, let's see. Um, what is it? Our son, the man with um, the epic bedroom yes. of... Uh, yeah, you get to see Greg Brady's like best shot in interior design. And it's got to be seen if only just to see the. It's a good episode anyway, but um, 
And it's one of the first kind of, maybe it's not the first, but it's, it's, it's a, definitely a coming of age episode because it shows, it's one of the episodes that shows the kids are aging and that Greg kind of wants his own space. He's becoming a man and so on. Um, uh, and, and in fact, actually like season two is just a great season because that also has the cigarettes episode um, where, you know, the family is distraught or, you know, over the prospect that Greg might have smoked. <laughs> uh, but it's just a fun episode for a couple of different reasons, you know, especially for the dynamic between um, Mike and, and Carol and how they feel about the kids because they stuck by, they stuck by Greg um, or at least said as they did. Um, the real Jan Brady, which has got that great wig. But again, it's 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 an episode where Jan is trying to stand One out. One of two you know? episodes with the uh, late, great Marsha. Oh, what's her name? She did the voice for Edna Krabappel. Oh, Wallace. Marsha Wallace. Uh, Marsha Wallace, yes. yeah. One of two um, episodes she's in. Uh, of course, there's the Grand Canyon episodes. There's the, um, the you know, the Hawaiian episodes um, are both fantastic. Oh, geez. Um, oh, the, uh, of course, was it um, My Hero or Bobby's Hero or something like that? That's the, the great Jesse James one. Um, Fright Night, the one you said with the ghosts. Um, really, it's a lot of, uh, you know, to me, season two and three are probably uh, where the show kind of hits its stride. Um, I, would say, and I would say season so three and four myself. But yes, it's, it's, you, you, for the most part, I would say skip season one, except for maybe the pilot and a camp and yeah. we will go. Yeah, yeah. Seasons, season one, I mean, it's a great show overall, but season one is not the strongest. Season five is fine. It's really two, three, four. Yes. And so, yeah, I guess that'll wrap up our discussion of the Brady Bunch. So now that just leaves us seven magnificent degrees. And from what I understand, Todd, you actually have an entry. For I do connecting this to the Magnificent Seven. I do. Shall I? Shall I go first? Do I have the honor? Of go ahead. First? All right. This is a quick and easy one. So Vincent Price, famously in the Halloween uh, story arc, um, was also in the Ten Commandments with Yul Brenner, who was in Magnificent Seven. Ah, nicely done. Nicely done. I'm going with the main cast member, Mike Lookalin, okay. who played Bobby Brady was in The Towering Inferno with Steve McQueen, who was in The Magnificent Seven. That's why you said The Towering Inferno. Okay. Yes. Uh, which is a movie we'll probably cover. Oh, definitely. But after we cover Red Dawn. Whenever, oh, when yeah. we get to that, we got to get to Red Dawn. Oh, Red Dawn. Yeah, that's got to be sooner rather than later, of course. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at TV slash Movie Rewind Asylum or on Instagram at TV slash movie rewind podcast. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have you back next time. Thank you everyone. And again, if you reach out to us, we will respond. Have a good one.